so I tallied everything up from Patreon, and <gasps> we are mostly Hufflepuffs. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. Couple Not Ravenclaws. Surprising. Couple Gryffindor. No Slytherin, but you. I'm the only Slytherin. Yeah. Um, I do feel that that tracks, though. I feel like Hufflepuffs are very generous and very involved. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, so they would be on Patreon. I feel like, yes. Yeah. I think Patreon is a very Hufflepuff-centric place. <laughs> um, it's why me as a Slytherin doesn't go anywhere near it because I <laughs> am such a hypocrite and I don't trust anyone and mm. I'm a skeptic. Okay. So well, I, mean, I, I only support one person on Patreon and that's uh, Indigo Lotus. Yeah. Uh, so that checks out for you. <laughs> that checks out. <laughs> I'm just like a horrible miser i've become mm. I've, I've realized <laughs> but we do have secret sandra day o'connor day yes. coming up in march so we're so excited about so thank you for everybody on patreon who's going to be part of our little women's history month gift exchange it's gonna be so much fun and we got a lot of new messages this week mm -hmm. we got messages from avery bray asking for people we got messages from rebecca mm -hmm. on um email and then Avery Bray's friend Allison Bellison welcome. contacted us welcome welcome <laughs> to that fun good word of mouth is great tell yes, all is. your friends moms uncles and cousins to listen absolutely <laughs> uh but we're not here to talk about that no we're here to talk about her street <laughs> what are we here to talk about her street on the rocks with Katie and Allie sorry I'm having a lot of brain farts this today. is a really long um, day for Katie it's a really long day for me um we are here here to talk about famous women in history and we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance but keep in mind we are drinking the entire time we are and we are not historians although no. we try <laughs> we, we try. try we um benefit from other people being historians and reading what they wrote yeah and we always source them <laughs> we try <laughs> when we're not too drunk uh but if you ever asked us online we do have the sources written in our yes, notes we do and we could tell you literally sometimes i like am at the end of the story i'm like oh, crap <laughs> I totally got this from one very specific article and I did not mention the author. <laughs> right. Uh, and I did that today because it's all in Icelandic. Uh, I'm sure that's right. You love getting the foreign language ones. It's so hard for you. I'm so sorry. I love it, though. I'm it's always okay. getting these nice, chill <laughs> stories. But you're so busy. You're very busy. You're doing designs in your pour over coffee. Oh my gosh. So you Wait, can't designs have designs in the pour over oh, coffee. Oh, the design is the pour. <laughs> well, well, how do you I say mean, it? <laughs> I, are you talking about like latte art? Yeah. What is that called? Well, that's not a pour over. That's oh, I don't know the difference. <laughs> Making French press You make coffee. the design with milk. Let's say more things. You're, you're steaming I'm the sorry. latte milk. I used to be a professional barista, Ooh. very adept in latte art. So okay. I have to speak truth to power. Can you make a um, leaf? Oh, yeah. I don't even understand that. Yeah. I can make black coffee and that's it. Sometimes <laughs> I even mess that up. It's so funny though, because I was so entrenched in it and I was the person that was like making pour over every day. And now I'm like, all right, uh, I'm just going to set my um, brewer for 24 hours ahead of time. So I don't have to think about it, which is like against all the cardinal rules of brewing. Um, but it's fine. 
Well, you're busy doing that. You're busy doing (laughs) all of that. What are we talking about? (laughs) So you don't have time to look at your phone because you're occupied. Um, And you don't want to pour hot milk all over your hand while you're trying to Google these women. So we're going to describe what they look like so you can get a picture in your head. We're going to get a little... Physical, physical. Ali, who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing Cheryl Swoops. (gasps) And she is a tall African-American woman with a slim athletic build. Over the years, Cheryl has worn her hair in a variety of styles. When she's posing for a picture, she has this really big, bright, beautiful smile. But on the court, she always looks fierce and determined. So it's like her game face on. Yeah, there's like two very (laughs) stark different types of pictures of her. But no matter where you see her, her hands are always full either with a basketball or some sort of prestigious award. (laughs) So cool. That's Cheryl. (laughs) Who are you doing and what does she look like? Okay, I'm doing Vigdis Finbog... Hold on. Finbogadotir. Good job. Finbogadotir. Finbogadotir. (laughs) Hey, we have listeners in Iceland now. You better get it right. (laughs) Finbogadotir. She is a petite woman with blue wide set eyes, short blonde hair, um, which is usually like a little curled um, with bangs in her later years. She has a heart shaped face with a slightly pointed chin and a radiant smile. She can typically be seen in very smart suits, addressing large crowds of cheering people. And in my favorite photo of her, she has a white ascot and a cute little like female version of a bowler hat it's very cute um and that's what Vigdis looks like (laughs) that's so great she sounds adorable I've never seen a picture of her very cute very cute that's exciting so you ready to know what you're drinking I am it looks tall (laughs) (laughs) this is called the air swoops Mm. and it is exactly three maraschino cherries okay with ice in what's the tall glass called Tom Collins glass yeah that one And it has cherry liqueur and some whiskey, brandy, and then you're supposed to top it with 7-Up, but I was out, so I used ginger beer. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Tasty. It's refreshing. I I love like a a good old-fashioned like soda cocktail. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like... I feel like I could be given this at like a basketball game and I would be like, whoop, there it is. Now I'm drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So we went straight to jock jams. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm here for all of the jock jam classics. Uh, Yeah, I love uh, soda and cherry. I think Mm. Coca-Cola did that for us. They made us like it and now we're all in. This is the thing. It tastes like a boozy. Like, you know how when you were a kid and you used to go to the Slurpee stand? And you would mix like different flavors. Like I feel like the classic is blue and red. Right. But sometimes I liked to do red and Coke. Right. The red and Coke slush. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it tastes like um, a Slurpee of red and Coke. <laughs> well, good. The I'm Coke glad. Slurpee is underrated. It's very good. I agree. It's really good. I think the problem is when you drink it, the color goes out of it really quickly and then it just looks white. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you suck all the juice from it. I, that never ha- um, that never happened to my slurpees. It happened to my ices. Oh, uh, maybe that's what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, okay. because I feel like the brownness of the Coke sl- slurpee down and then it's- <laughs> <laughs> okay. was tried and true. <laughs> that's true. All right. Okay. What do Tell- you What do you know about Cheryl? I know that she was a professional basketball player, and I know that like 
she is known as the Michael Jordan of the WNBA. So I'm guessing she's the GOAT, the greatest of all time, um, because we don't talk about female basketball players enough. So I really don't know anything else about her or the WNBA. (laughs) Well, good. (laughs) But I did actually um, meet recently uh, at my most recent job a famous Virginian basketball player, or so I thought. The guy was like, oh, my gosh, you're the basketball player. And she was like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, that's so cool. I was like, who did you play for? And she goes, oh, just my high school. And I was like, oh. Oh, that's. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> I was like, uh, me too. I was captain. <laughs> Hi. I was the best one on the team. I mean, my high school had five people in it. So, of course, I was captain because I was the only one tallest. left. <laughs> I was the tallest. Um... <laughs> that's so funny. All right. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. Let's dive deep. Okay. Cheryl Denise Swoops was born on March 25th, 1971 to Ida Louise Swoops. Good middle name. Mm-hmm. Cheryl's mom and dad, who's unnamed, were divorced only three months after Cheryl was born. Oh, wow. So her dad was not a part of her life okay. at all. She grew up, obviously, then with a single mother and two older brothers. Later, her mother would get a new partner, and she would have a younger half-brother as well. So she's got three brothers. You know how that is. Mm -hmm. She grew up in a small town in Texas, and in this small town, there were less than 10,000 people, and everybody knew everybody wherever (laughs) you were her mother was very very strict and would not let cheryl do anything without her two older brothers chaperoning also being from a small town there wasn't a lot to do Mm. so it was like go to church play basketball the rest of the day (laughs) and that's what you did you were just out in the street or in the court at the playground whatever so when she was seven She knew that this is what she wanted to do because all she ever wanted to do was play basketball all the time. Let's go play basketball. But she was a small girl from a small town and a black girl at that, which was a minority where she was. It was Mm -hmm. mostly white people and Hispanic people. And nobody from that town thought they were going anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's not like it was explicitly racist. It's just like, this is not for us. This is it for us. This is the town. Mm -hmm. So in high school, she was a bit of a misfit because she was on varsity her freshman year playing basketball. So she didn't really click really well with those girls who were like so much older than her. And then the two girls she did click with who were around her age ended up getting pregnant. And her strict mom was like, well, you can't really hang out with them all the time. And also they had babies. You know what I mean? Right. Things are changing. So sometime around her junior year of high school. Colleges start to come and try to recruit people, and she was approached by the big wig college in Texas, the University of Texas. Of course, without any thought, she signs on. She's like, yes, I'm going there. This is a great opportunity. It's only a couple hours from my home. Makes total sense. This is the only place I'm going to go if I want to do anything with basketball. But then she got there, and a couple hours from home felt very, very far away Mm. and very big compared to her small hometown she was there for like seven days and then was like nope I'm out and dropped out and went home but if you transferred to another college in the same sports division you had to sit out for a year Hmm. because she had already signed a contract with them so instead of doing that she went to junior college which is kind of like a community college Mm -hmm. so that she wouldn't have to stop playing for a bit and 
then she went to Texas Tech after that. But going to Texas Tech, people were like, you really left the University of Texas to play <laughs> basketball at Texas Tech? That makes no sense. You're never going to make anything of your basketball career there. But she went and led that team to the national championship ah, in 1993. And she got her record for the most points scored in one game, which was 47. And she won the national player of the year award in her senior year. That's so cool. It's also like, don't you tell me that I can't do everything in my power just because of what school I'm at. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like, it's, I hate that whole notion of like, Oh, like, cause we went to Towson, which mm -hmm. is like not a state an, school. It's, it's a, a state, state school. school, you know, and it's like, that's like saying, well, all you like thousands of kids that go to Towson, like, because you didn't go to Loyola, like fuck off. Right. You know what I'm saying? I just, I hate that. And I understand sports are a different like breathing, you know, and it's like, that is a more intense insular world, but like. If you're good enough, you're good enough. Right. I don't know. And like, you'll fight your way to the top regardless. Yeah. If you're I, good and you have passion, that's all you need. Yeah. The only, I think the only reason Cheryl wouldn't have made it to the top is if she just stopped playing. Right. If she didn't want to. Yeah, exactly. Right. So as she's graduating, she goes for six months to play ball in Italy, which is really common. Um, you know, there weren't really professional teams for women at, in the United States at this time. And even a lot of men go and play in Italy when they don't get drafted in huh. the United States because there's just more positions open. Interesting. So she went and played in Italy for six months, but then came home when she heard that the United States was putting together a national team. Now, this was the first time that the U.S. was going to make a national female basketball team. Usually what that means is you practice together the year before the Olympics. So they're going to eat together. They're going to live together. They're going to practice. And from that group, they're going to select the Olympic team. So she's not definitely in the Olympics. It's just she's in the group of people being considered. Okay. And she said being a part of that was so incredible for her because as a child, you never saw women on TV playing basketball because mm -hmm. it didn't exist. Right. So once every four years, you got to see women on TV playing basketball if they aired it. So it was the only time as a kid that she saw women playing basketball oh on gosh. TV. So she was like, I totally want to be in the Olympics. So she goes um, and she's practicing for the whole year and much to her surprise she's selected for the olympic team and she went and they won the 1996 olympic gold medal so she's a gold medalist she is a gold medalist that's so cool because there's just such a finite amount of people in the world who can say that mm -hmm. and i didn't know that yeah that's so cool <laughs> i know usually it's like okay she was in the wmba so right. it's like so what else yeah um so when she's getting ready to head home from the Olympics, uh, she gets this call. And they're like, hey, 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 were you going to sign with the ABL, which is the American Basketball League? Because if you are, don't. Because the NBA has something in the works. <gasps> this is just a heads up. Okay. She's oh like, my God. Okay. So note to self, don't sign with the ABL as soon as I get home from the Olympics. Okay. But that summer, she goes and she works at Michael Jordan's basketball camp because he <laughs> asked for, like, different people from the Olympics to come and play. She had never met Michael up to this point. Uh, but everybody, as you referenced, had been calling her the female 
Michael Jordan. She gets to the camp. She's standing around. She's talking to other counselors when she hears like a rustle and like clapping and cheering from the kids. Mm -hmm. So they all turn around and in walks, you know, Michael Jordan. (laughs) Can't even imagine. God himself. (laughs) Right. And um, he turns to them and says, which one of you is swoops? And she's just like speechless and her friends nudging her like, freeze your hand. Like, that's you. And um, she raises her hand and he goes, oh. So I hear they've been calling you the female Michael Jordan. <laughs> Let's play one-on-one. No. Oh my gosh, I would die. <laughs> and she's like, I guess. <laughs> like everybody's screaming. Like they want to watch them play. And she says, it is just terrible. Her first th- few shots were all air balls. Oh yeah, <laughs> she's I'm sure. Like, she's got the jitters. She ends up losing. They played to seven. She ended. It was seven to four. So she got a couple shots okay, in. Okay, that's, that's pretty, pretty good. good. That's over half. I know. I'm fine with that. But she goes... I, in an interview, she was like, I hate to admit that I lost. <laughs> I was like, to Michael Jordan said everyone in the NBA ever. Right. Come on. <laughs> anyway, as it turned out, the NBA did have something in the works. They were creating the Women's National Basketball Association, the WNBA. And Cheryl Swoops became the first person to sign to the league ever. What? The, the WNBA. Very first. Very first. WNBA That's didn't exist. so cool. So she's the first person ever. And there was no draft that year because it's like who who would know who to pick from where? Mm-hmm. Um, so she was assigned to the Houston Comets. Not only that, but Cheryl gets a call from Nike and they want to sponsor her. And she's through the roof. She's like, of course you can sponsor me. And they're like, one thing first, though, what? do you look for when you're out shopping for women's basketball shoes? And she's like, I don't know. There aren't women's basketball shoes. The rich girls wear Air Jordans and the other girls wear the cheap brands. There weren't women's basketball shoes? There were not women's basketball shoes. This is the 1990s. Not like good marketable ones. And she thinks about it and she gets back to them and she goes, look, A woman's basketball shoe, it needs to be light. It Mm -hmm. needs to have a lot of ankle support, which all basketball shoes do. They're like high tops. And it needs to be cute but simple. I'm going to say anyone who's ever played basketball is going to cry when they hear this. But I used to just wear my indoor soccer shoes playing basketball. Like your like your My sambas. Oh, my God. (laughs) People were so mad at me. They're like, Katie, you're going to roll your ankle a thousand times. This is not okay. That's really not good for you. (laughs) When you're limping in old age, I'm going to be like, Katie, you shouldn't have worn your Sambas out there. Oh my gosh. I did it for a year. Actually. Yeah. I never wore anything else. Now that I think about it. Basketball shoes look so cool. I feel like they look so cool. Girls look real cool. Okay, cool girls look really cool. (laughs) I Um, look frumpy. (laughs) Like, What is she doing in those? Um, yeah I I mean you know I like my ankles exposed yeah you you like an exposed (laughs) ankle it's fine (laughs) Um, so she's really excited she's like this is great there's gonna be a woman's shoe this is a it's great for me because Mm -hmm. I want to wear a female shoe b it's great for female athletes because that means that companies are willing to spend money on them and c it's great for little girls that they can walk into a sporting store and there's a section for them they don't have to go and shop with all of the male equipment but then nike drops the bomb they say cheryl we want to call it the air swoops 
they wanted to name the shoe after her. <laughs> I Ma- thought you meant bomb as in like a bad no. thing. That sounds like a fucking awesome it thing. It is. They dropped the good bomb. <laughs> Making her the first female athlete with a professional shoe ever. That's so cool. <laughs> well, I know. The air swoops. That's the name of the cocktails. So that's where that came from. Um, so, obviously, she's the first woman signed to the WNBA. That's awesome. She's the first woman with a shoe design. That's awesome. She's got a gold medal. That's awesome. She cannot wait to start the season. And then she finds out she's pregnant. <gasps> what? This story is a roller coaster <laughs> that I did not expect. She's pregnant, which means she couldn't start the season with the team. So she watches as they take the court and play without her in the inaugural game. Oh, I can't even imagine. Of the WNBA. Oh, Crushing. Sucks. Cheryl had a beautiful baby boy. And then six weeks postpartum no. goes onto the court. Oh my and gosh! Plays. You keep setting things up. I was <laughs> like, I thought you were like the baby died. No, like, no. He is alive and well. He's okay, quite handsome. Okay, good, good. Um, <laughs> yeah. So sh- six weeks postpartum, she goes to a doctor's appointment. Says, "I want to play. Can I play?" They say, "You can play." She plays with the Comets the rest of the That's- season amazing and not only did she play with the comets for the rest of the season but she led the houston comets to the first ever championship game <laughs> and they won swoops on fire she really is um so is she a single mom she is okay. yes she's not um i don't know if her and the father were partnered at that time but okay. she does not have a long-lasting relationship with him okay so he's not her current partner gotcha um, just curious because it um, mirrors something in my story. Ooh, <laughs> I wasn't just like, is she betrothed? Like, I wasn't asking that to be weird. She, <laughs> did she break God's law? <laughs> That's what they say about kids that grow up in homes with single moms. <laughs> They're all terrible. <laughs> just oh, kidding. Yeah. You're great and we love you, uh, as is uh, obvious in both of these stories. We're gonna find out. <laughs> of course, that. Um, the best part about this part of the story is that Nike and the WNBA were so supportive of her being a playing mother. They would take her out of the game before halftime so she could go into the locker room early to breastfeed her baby. And her mom was allowed to come to the games and sit with her son. And there are pictures of her throughout the seasons sitting on the bench with her son sitting on her shoulders during the games. And this is the 90s when we were really trying to figure out the working mom thing and female athletes especially were trying to find out if it was possible to come back after giving birth and she was like it's more than possible it's doable yeah you can do it yeah I love that like in literally just like a decade or two we went from like now don't run your uterus is going to fall out to be like oh you had just had a baby yeah get back on out there champ (laughs) we need you And Cheryl was really good, too, because the Comets did not just win the first season. They won the championship the next three years in a row, making Mm. them four-time champions. So she has four WNBA championships, the last of which was in the year 2000, during which the game she scored her career high in terms of points. Mm. She won the league MVP and the defensive player of the year. She won both those titles again in 2002. And in 2005, she became the league's first three-time MVP. So she's won it thrice. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) 
Now, this is just a side note, and it's not a super important part of the story, but I wanted to include it because I think it's impo- it came up in the news like mm-hmm. a lot. So in 2005, Swoops made national news when she revealed she was gay, becoming the first prominent athlete in North America to come out that way. But then in 2011, she got engaged to a man, and the couple has been married since 2017. Okay. So she's bi. Okay. But people just didn't like people are like, she's gay. Now she's not gay. OK, so and it's like, well, I no, she's happening. bi. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> it's funny because I was just listening to our episode of Poison Ivy yeah. today. And it was just like, yes, bisexual people can exist. That's and, like, a thing. Let's give them space to <laughs> and like not be mad that like she was dating a girl and now she's dating a boy. Like Everything's fine. It's going to be OK. <laughs> Everybody take a breather. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so that was just a side note. And that's all there was about it. There wasn't okay. really anything else. But I wanted to throw it in because I didn't want to leave it out of her story. Perfect. So during all this time on the Houston Comets and other WNBA teams, Cheryl was selected two more times for the Olympics. And she went both times. And both other times, she won gold medals. <laughs> She has three Olympic gold medals, four WNBA titles, and three MVP awards. Does she just have like a room with all of her like she better? Gold? This is my gold room. Same. You know how people used to have a computer room? Yeah. <laughs> this is my trophy. Oh room. my gosh, the computer room. Now computers are in all the rooms. Yes. This is my computer pocket. <laughs> this is my phone. I'm put a th- thousand computers in your pocket. Uh, (laughs) love it um in 2007 she did have a back injury that limited her to just three games that year and then she bounced around between a lot of different teams in the WNBA she was on the Seattle Storm she was on the Tulsa Shock she played in Greece for a little while she goes to Texas Tech and is like one of the player development people at the university that she used to go to and is even an assistant coach at some point But this transition period to retirement was really hard for her. Mm. She said, from the time I was seven to the time I was 45, basketball is all I did from when I woke up to when I went to bed. So trying to figure out what I was going to do now was really tough. Mm. And I wanted to retire on my terms. I didn't want to get cut from a team. So I knew when I woke up every day and it wasn't fun anymore, it was time to leave. Wow. That's incredible to recognize because I think a lot of people don't take a moment to be like, oh, wait, I this is not bringing me joy anymore. So like I should stop. I think people wind up just getting bitter towards this thing that like they could leave. But, you know, I think that we often don't encourage people to leave. Yeah, it's it's your it's like they're a quitter if they leave. But it's like, you know, go out when you feel ready. Yeah. It's kind of like when like television series just go way too long because everyone's afraid to be like, oh, it's over. We're done. <laughs> that's why I love the BBC. You get two mm-hmm. seasons and that's it. Two and out. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And it's it's also, though, I think to a lot of times people push it, especially if you're thinking about like in Hollywood, because women used to be cut so early. Oh. It used to be like you aren't pretty anymore you're old we don't want you on the screen so people tend to like push it as long as they can but now we're at the opposite end of that where we're more accepting of women who Uh are older in age so it's like step out when you want to when you're ready Mm. so she did so she did retire and when she did, of course, her accomplishments did not stop. <laughs> Swoops was inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. And then the kicker, the good kicker. 
was she was inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame, which is the male and female basketball Hall of Fame, the big one, the one that Jordan's in and Shaq's in and like all them. And that was really special to her. She gave a really nice 12 minute speech that you can find online, but it was mostly special to her because it was her last big trip with her mother before her mom passed away from a battle with cancer. So she was so happy that her mom got to see her basketball career through to fruition. So after her mom passed, she's left asking herself, what do I want to do with my legacy other than basketball? Because Cheryl does not believe she was put on this earth to be a basketball player. Hmm. She believes that basketball was her platform to reach people. So she created the organization Back to Our Roots. It's an organization teaching younger black kids about who they are and where they came from and what their heritage is. So what she does is during the summer, she takes groups of teens to Africa and they get DNA tests to see what part of the continent they're originally from, where they were stolen from. She takes them on tours of slave dungeons and auction platforms. And they do, of course, basketball camps. And they get to learn about who they really were and how great their history is. That's amazing. It's incredible. Wow. And just something that, you know, I feel like, like teens of like, you know, be like, oh, I have Irish heritage. So like, you know, I'm going back to Ireland. And like, unfortunately, like a lot of like African-American, like they don't know. They just don't know because you're right. That history was stolen from them. And also like the biggest thing we talk about in school is slavery. So it's like, oh, is that all there is for, for my history? And it's like, no, you have such a rich, beautiful history. It's also just not the uh, logical next step for Basketball? someone who is a professional athlete. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. What a cool direction to be like, yeah, it just like she was saying, I have a platform. So why don't I use it to where like to something towards something that I needed when I was a kid? Right. Because I'm sure that was a part of her childhood feeling isolated in a predominantly white community. And she's <laughs> like, you know what? Basketball allowed me to travel the world yeah. to the Olympics, to play in all these different places. And I want to give basketball to other kids to be able to travel the world. So we're going to do a basketball camp. And in doing that, we're also going to educate ourselves. That's so cool. It is. So again, the organization is called Back to Our Roots and her website is www.btor22.com. So if you want to donate, it's an incredible organization. And a lot of times on Black History Month, I think we share a lot of history, but we rarely put our money where our mouth is in like black owned organizations and businesses. So this month, all of our Patreon money is going to Cheryl's organization so thank you to our patrons connor janine Alyssa, alina brooke rebecca emily p lisa joanne sarah rachel leah krista kara emily h misty and of course my brother eric (laughs) (laughs) for the money that you're giving to cheryl's organization and that is her journey so far that's amazing i just i love the direction it went at the end and I love all the things I thought were going to be bad, but then they weren't. They were amazing. I'm just such a good storyteller. <laughs> so good. I was on the edge of my seat. <laughs> and then they dropped the bomb. <laughs> the good she, bomb. She won another medal. <laughs> so, yes, that's why there were three cherries in the drink, one for mm. each Olympic medal. I love that. <laughs> oh, well, that was perfect. I'm so excited. I didn't know very much about her, so that was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Well, 
Her Wicca. Oh my God. Sources. We just talked about this. Her <laughs> Wikipedia page was nothing. So I had to go into like the deep YouTube and I found like some interview. You know how you try to find the interview they mm. give where they're like 50 minutes where you yes. can tell they did their whole life. Yes. So just like some church organization was interviewing her about back to our roots and yeah. they like asked her all the questions leading ah, up to. Perfect. I was like, yes, thank you. <laughs> Weird organization who did this. Yes. All right. Well, that's it. We're going to go get more drinks. Yep. And we're going to be back to talk about Iceland. Yeah. Yes, Iceland. (laughs) This is Stephanie and Tux (laughs) from the podcast Beyond Reproach, a show about political scandals from American history. But it's fun, we swear. The idea behind our show is that politicians and government officials are meant to be public servants, and their behavior should be beyond reproach. But if history has taught us anything, it's that a lot of politicians are total scumbags. So we decided to do a show where we drink period-appropriate historic cocktails while exploring some of the government scandals and shitty politicians of America's past. We are not historians. We're just a couple of drunks who never shut up and love history. We hope you'll join us on Beyond Reproach. For some big facts, good laughs, a little bit of swearing, a lot of drinking, and a real good time. America's history is juicy. We just add gin. We are back. We're back with some gray cocktails. I was going to say, I don't know if we've ever had one so gray. I don't think so either. It just like, it like, I love the color of this, frankly. It it looks like um, a shark. (gasps) It does. What is that um, flipper gray? The shark fin gray? <laughs> shark fin gray. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love it. Yeah. I wanted to create something just kind of icy and like, I just feel like blues and grays mm. and like purples just like scream Iceland to Yeah, me. the Titanic could sink in this. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it? Okay. <clears throat> so this is a cocktail based on the Icelandic cocktail Midnight Sun. Um, and I've called this Fyrstakonen. It is an ounce and a half of Icelandic vodka, an ounce of blood orange liqueur, <clears throat> sorry, half an ounce of creme de violet liqueur, and juice from half a lime, and um, orange bitters. And you shake that all up, and you put it in a glass with a ton of ice, and you garnish with a lemon wheel. Ooh, cheers. Cheers. Mm. Wow. I like it a lot. And you did the violet correctly. We always do it so poorly. I know. I was like, just a touch. Just a touch. Not even a touch, just a dab. (laughs) Um, So this is Icelandic vodka. It's called like Reykja vodka. And you can get it at most liquor stores. Apparently it has something to do with charcoal in a volcano. I mean, Um, it looks looks like it has some charcoal in it. Yeah. Um, But yeah. But it tastes like the Northern Lights. It does taste like the Northern (laughs) Lights. I love this. And it's very subtle with Mm -hmm. how many flavors are going on in it. Yeah. I can't believe that there's blood orange in here that there's orange bitters that what did you say lemon Mm -hmm. and violet no and vodka doesn't taste like that at all Mm. (laughs) nice job thanks Mm -hmm. (laughs) two good cocktails tonight i know Mm. and like relaxing ones too Mm -hmm. where it's not like because sometimes you need like a strong cocktail uh like when you get home tonight (laughs) yes (laughs) when i got home on tuesday i made myself a giant gin and tonic (laughs) mostly gin yes (laughs) um okay so 
all I know about this person, this is a request. Um, I'll let you say who, mm-hmm. but it, this was the, she was a female leader in yes. Iceland. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say president because I think they're a democracy, but I don't know. All right. So Perfect. go for it. All right. Well, thank you to Rebecca Denauer. She requested Vigdis. So thank you so much. Um, there, she's a really interesting person and there's so many avenues of her life that I want to know more about. But unfortunately, most everything is in Icelandic um, or there's just not much on her. So like her Wikipedia page is very short. All the articles just hit all the main like topics. You know how sometimes you can just like find that one like <clears throat> holy grail of articles. And you're like, yes, this is everything like like we were talking about earlier. Like this. Uh, yeah, everything valuable, I think, was in uh, Icelandic. So <laughs> well, we do have P- listeners in ice in yes. Iceland they've messaged us on Instagram so mm-hmm. tell us all the details so, write us a letter we'll write we'll read it out for you if I fuck up her story in a major way and like don't say like big things that she did like please let me know because like I just could not find them <laughs> okay let's do it um so Vigdis Finn uh Finn Bogototr was born in Reykjavik Iceland on April 15th, 1930. Um, so the way I believe that um, Icelandic names work is like, so her, like, so we're just going to be calling her Vigdis because her last name just is her father's name and then like daughter of. So okay. like the last part of it is um, Gadotir, mm-hmm. which is daughter of. Okay. I, I believe is how it works. That was my understanding from a lot of the videos and stuff. Um, so that's why like a lot of like, women just like don't even use their last name frequently because right um anyways is from what i understand so again please correct me if i'm wrong um her father was a civil engineer and a professor at the university of iceland and her mother was a nurse and the chairperson of the icelandic nurses association excuse me i know two very powerful parents (laughs) wow um this had one brother who was a year younger than her um Purvaldor, and she and her family enjoyed a very comfortable lifestyle. They were obviously kind of upper class, you know, and like they never really wanted for anything. Um, she was excellent at school uh, and she went on to study French and French literature at the University of Grenoble and the Sorbonne in Paris. Whoa. I know. She did that from 1949 to 1953. And after that, she's in Paris. Yes. That's a bad time to be in Paris. <laughs> That's right. I didn't even think about that. It's <laughs> like Nazi occupation. Yeah. No, it's after that. 1949, but still. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. Um, after that, she studied the history of theater at the University of Copenhagen. She then acquired a BA in French and English, oh. as well as a professional graduate certificate in education at the University of Iceland. So she has a very well-rounded education, to say the least. Why, I feel like none of those relate to each other. No. <laughs> but okay, go for it, girl, if that's what um, you want. So for years, she mainly had jobs teaching French and theater at the University of Iceland. She also had a summer job while school was out being an Icelandic tour guide, which actually really helped her get to know like all the locals and stuff. And like she just kind of really got to know her country even better than she did before. She Hmm. loved this job in 1954. She did get married to a physician 
And that's basically all we know about him was that he was a doctor and they got married. Um, but they divorced in 1963 after years of trying to have a child together. Uh, they were having a really hard time. And then Vigdis had a miscarriage, which just made things even worse. And it just led to them splitting up. And she felt really lost. Like a lot of women we cover, she just felt like she wasn't doing her woman things correctly, which is such a hard feeling because it's not her fault, you know? And I just, it makes me so sad when like, when that happens. Um, but a few years later, she said, fuck that. I can have a kid if I want. And at the age of 41, after being rejected and then fighting like hell, she successfully adopted her daughter all by herself. Wow. Which made her the first single woman who was allowed to adopt a child. I don't know if that's just in Iceland or like in the world, but like all it said was she was the first single woman to do this. That's incredible. I know. And she would go on to say that her daughter was the light of her life because she worked so fucking hard to get her, which I just give her. I just I love that she did that because I think it's so easy to just kind of be like, all right, well, I guess like motherhood just isn't for me then, because if I'm not going to find like a man to do this with and like I'm shit out of luck. And right. she's just like, nope. Well, it's <laughs> going to change. It. It's the very old like first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby mm-hmm. and the baby carriage. But it's like, well, what if I want to skip the marriage part or if I did right. the marriage part and it doesn't really work for me and I'm not having children biologically like I should be allowed to make this choice in another way. Exactly. Um, so eventually she was the artistic director of the Reykjavik Theater Company, uh, later the Reykjavik city theater from 1972 to 1980 from 76 to 80 she was a member of the advisory committee on cultural affairs in the nordic countries and at some point during all this she hosted a tv show in iceland where she taught french lesson lessons <laughs> she's all over the place she's wild she's just having a time yeah she really is <laughs> Um, and she was also like pretty politically active. She attended numerous rallies held to protest um, against U.S. military presence in Iceland. She was like, that's not cool. Get out of here. Um, so, again, we're giving a lot of broad strokes to her life because there really isn't much information that I could find on her, uh, especially her early years. I, there just wasn't much. Um, but what I'm about to get into now is the political climate surrounding her and her future presidency. Because as we know, she was the first female president of Iceland and the world. No way. Yeah. Stop (laughs) it. So um, we're going to talk about this political climate because I think that's where the true story lies. Um, Because where it eventually ends is not just her being the first female president in the world. It ends at Iceland being named the best place to exist as a woman, hmm. which is really fucking cool. <laughs> that is cool. I was watching that Zac Efron show recently, and the first episode is about like clean energy in huh. Iceland. What I'm talking about? I think I've heard about it. It's like him and his brother, right? No, it's just him and some guy, but, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's called Down to Earth. And honestly, the show's not great. Like... You would think that Zac Efron would be really interesting, but he's not a comedian. Mm, Like, and I just want me. I've only watched the first two episodes, but I just wanted more from him. But anyway, the first episode is based in Iceland and they're like, yeah, a couple of years ago, we were using all unclean energy also. And then 
we did something about it. (laughs) We made some changes. (laughs) That is going to be one of the takeaways of this story is literally every other country being like, but we can't. And then Iceland being like, no, you can. You just don't want to put the effort into it. You're just not. And I know Iceland is so tiny compared to like larger countries, especially and the small population, blah, blah, blah. Like their population is itty bitty, but like still, you can make changes on a grand scale. <laughs> well, it's like a it's like a case study. Yeah. Like it's a small group that did it. Now large it up. Yeah. Exactly. Now we can't tell the history of strong women in Iceland without giving a little shout out to the Viking women who were legendary whoop, and whoop, fucking whoop. awesome, especially when it came to just settling Iceland. Odd the Deep-Minded was one of the earliest known Icelandic women. Um, on her ship, there were 20 men under her command, proving that she was respect- respected, capable, independent, and strong-willed. So just going to give her a shout-out because strong women have existed in Iceland literally since the beginning. That's great. <laughs> In 1915, women got the right to vote in Iceland, which was a really big step. Um, They were only five years ahead of the U.S., but over the next 60 years, women started to notice that there weren't many women in positions of power. They're like, okay, we have the vote, but like, what, what has it gotten us? Right. Who are we voting for? Right. Exactly. Because in 1975, there were just three sitting female members of parliament. In the other Nordic countries, women made up 16 and 23 percent of parliament and theirs was i think like five like three or five percent oh well that's not enough no and this is becoming a major source of frustration women also earned 60 percent less than men at this time which was a truly outrageous pay gap so 60 percent less it's not like 60 cents to the dollar no 60 percent less um so in 1970 a group of feminists decided to take matters into their own hands the Red Stockings were a group of middle-class, well-educated women in their 20s and 30s. Uh, many of them had studied abroad and brought back ideas of like feminist movements from places like Denmark and the U.S. <laughs> they started demonstrating in small ways, marches with banners saying things like, human being, not a marketing product, which, yes. <laughs> uh, they campaigned for sexual and reproductive education, abortion rights, equal pay for women, and recognition as breadwinners in the labor market. And at the very first general meeting of the Iceland Red Stockings, someone proposed a general strike of all women, which people thought was insane. They were like, how in the world would we even do that? Like, no, that's impossible. So they're like, all right, we'll push that aside. So for years, they just kind of kept it small. So it's so, uh, like all women in general yeah, going they were on like, strike. Every woman in Iceland go on strike. And they're like, that's insane. Um, in 1972, they brought a live cow to a beauty contest. Um, and after this, Iceland was like, okay. And like, partly because of this beauty contests were like, stop for a while. Like they just didn't have them. <laughs> <laughs> like to compete against women, this I, cow was brought. I know. I think, it, I think it was like, kind of like, uh, stop like making women up and showing them off like cattle, you know? Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. In protest. Got yeah. It. In protest. Um, so yeah, they didn't like the beauty contests. Um, but then they felt encouraged to do something even bigger and even more amazing in the year 1975, because the UN had declared that this was the year of the woman and they weren't going to let the year pass without doing something big. They again, 
brought together various organizations of women throughout like Iceland. Um, they brought them all together in the beginning of the year, 1975, and they again floated the idea of the general strike. And it, they kept putting it aside. They're like, no, it can't be done. Da, 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 da. But by June, they had a solid committee made up of eight women from various demographics of women, which included liberals, conservatives, teachers, store clerks, office managers, and single mothers. This is really cool. It's awesome. So it's just eight women who are like, we're the committee to do this. Yes, because this way we're coming from vastly different walks of life. So like we can represent the women who can't be here. And we can all say like, here's how my group would feel about this. Yes, exactly. Um, and also before you go on, yes. I know Rebecca Denauer requested this, uh-huh. but I kept getting a feeling in my head. The girl that listens to us from Iceland also requested this woman. Look, here's really? the here's the message. Oh so we need to shout her out, and then we'll also put um your name in the episode. Yes. I so th- uh, Lilja Dog? Dog. Dog. I think it's Dog because yeah. it's the O with the um two dots. Yeah, I forget what that's called. The umla. 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 Um. So Lilja. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh my god. We'll put your name on there too. It's always there's always some people that we get like multiple requests about. Yes. And that's why when Katie was talking, I was like, I swear <laughs> to God, we got a request from this girl currently living in Denmark, but was from yes, Iceland. From Iceland. Okay. okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> um okay. I hope I'm Eight getting women. The, yes. I hope I'm getting the history of your country right. Um, <laughs> Eight women, year of the woman. Yes. And with this new committee. The motion finally passed with just one change. Okay. (laughs) The conservative women felt that the word strike was a little harsh. So the name of the event was changed to Women's Day Off. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) I like it too. (laughs) Senior skip day. Um, Exactly. (laughs) And over the next few months, because this was in like June, um, they started organizing like crazy. They had all sorts of committees. So it was like basically like, you know, this big committee. And then everybody kind of went back to theirs and then created subcommittees (laughs) just so they could really have this really well organized. Um, And just to make sure that every woman in Iceland, whether she lived in the center of bustling Reykjavik or on the side of Mount Hecla (laughs) was on the same page. Of course, things like this are always met with opposition. Men kept asking them whether the women's day off also extended to the bedroom. And they started spreading rumors that women would be laid off permanently if they failed to work that day. Just the typical bullshit, you know, (laughs) very Bobby Um, Riggs of them. Yes. (laughs) Um, And it was a lot of work to get to this, but it was not done in vain. On October 24th, 1975, life came to a stop in in Iceland, (laughs) almost in England, Iceland, because (laughs) one of those islands in the Atlantic, (laughs) 90% of the women in Iceland simply stopped working so they didn't go to work did they watch their kids nope. <laughs> nobody watched they their- walked out of the house they walked out of their jobs they just left so it's like the men had to then get the kids to school mm-hmm. Actually, should- well, well they couldn't take them to school because there weren't any teachers because there weren't any teachers <laughs> can't go to the hospital there's no nurses school- oh my god schools were closed 
<laughs> the walkout disrupted telephone service so no one could call anyone for help. <laughs> because they're operators, right? Were they the operators? Yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, they were also the typesetters for the newspaper, so the newspaper didn't come out. So literally the entire day, the entire world stopped. Daycares were closed because the daycare workers were women. So men had to take their children to work. They couldn't just take off because all the women who also worked with them weren't there. So they were short staffed. So so can you imagine like all these men like bringing these children to these factories and these like places like on, on the bus, like while they're driving it around. And it's like everything came to a screeching halt. And then they had to cook dinner, which meant that easy to cook meals ran out in all the grocery stores. Oh, it's, it's like right before a snowstorm with yep. the toilet paper. They also sold out of sweets and small toys and other items to distract children. The stores were sold out. That is so funny. <laughs> While being understaffed. This reminds me of something I saw on Instagram this week. It was a picture of two parents working from home. You want to oh describe that picture? <laughs> So the left is a woman in a bathroom uh, with some kind of naked child wrapped around her leg. And she's on a phone call. And she's on a phone call. And the right looks like a lovely home office where a man is sitting on a very nice wooden desk with just nothing a matter with him. (laughs) It says both of these people are in the middle of a work call from home. I love it. That's what it reminds me of. Yes. 90% of the women all over Iceland. That's great. She said fucking deal with it and see how life is without us oh the strike lasted all day with women returning to work and home after midnight so it wasn't just like we're gonna walk out for an hour they didn't do anything for 24 hours which is amazing 12 to 12 i love it (laughs) oh my gosh um (laughs) and so they did return to work um and i'm sure all those typesetters felt pretty fucking good about the fact that the newspaper the next day was all about them (laughs) men would go on to call this the long friday That's my favorite name for a day. Oh, my God. Altogether, there were over 20 rallies all over Iceland, with the largest being in Reykjavik, with 25,000 women in attendance. A girls' marching band opened the rally, which included theatrical performances, sing-alongs, and addresses by the only female members of parliament, as well as Bjork, Einar's daughter, who was a sales clerk, Astildr, Olaf's daughter, a housewife, and Adelheider, Bjorn Freo's daughter, a domestic worker. So we have a sales clerk, a housewife, and a domestic worker. Again, women who like have very different looking lives, but like they were all included, which I think is really amazing. They had something to say. Yep. And it was Adelheider who made the most rousing speech. She went up with no notes or anything. And she just spoke freely and passionately about the disrespect that women faced at work. She said that they were looked at as merely auxiliary workers who got paid less than men and were always the first to be sent home if like work was slow. She was like, why is it always the women who like, it's like, oh, we don't have enough work for anyone. So all of you go home. She's like, like well, I, I still, need money. <laughs> I still need to support my family. Like, And although some of the more radical feminists involved in the protest felt it didn't go far enough or make a big enough impact, you know, you can't deny that things, you know, didn't change or like didn't change for the better for women in Iceland. Like it really did make a huge difference. 
In the following, in the year following the strike, Iceland set up the Gender Equality Council and passed the Gender Equality Act, which prohibited gender discrimination in the workplace and in schools. That's just in one year following. And of course, just five years after the strike, Iceland became the first country in the world to democratically elect a female head of state, who is, of course, the subject for today, Vigdis. And what year was that? 1980. So she was elected in 1980, and this strike happened in 1975. When was Benazir Bhutto elected? I don't know. I think in the 90s, right? Yeah, because probably. That's, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, Um. that because I thought about that. Because but she was the first in a um majority Muslim country. Yes. I think, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, because, because she was assassinated in the nineties, in the nineties. Yeah. And I feel like it wasn't long after she was right. elected, but also there's a lot of political, I'm yeah, I don't remember, but like <laughs> I yeah. did think about her. <laughs> it's in that genre. It's in that of same people. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. in the vein of those people. Yes. Um, apparently though, she did need some convincing before running for office. Uh, the same groups of women who had organized the strike thought that she was the best lady for the job. And she started her campaign running against three male candidates. And on June 28th, 1980, she beat all of them, albeit narrowly with 33.6% of the national vote. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Her nearest rival got (laughs) 32.1%, which I'm just going to say, too, I think it's really cool that the first woman elected as a head of state in the world was a single mother. Yeah, that's crazy. That's insane. And, a, and not also of like an adopted mother yes. as well, like yes. a mother later in life. So yeah. that's really cool. It's awesome. And she was really good at this job. And she proved so popular among the people of Iceland that she would be elected three more times. <laughs> oh my God. Serving a total of 16 years, which made her the longest serving Icelandic president until 2012. Wow. Now, from what I understand, since they do have a parliamentary system, um, you know, with a prime minister, the president does not have as much power as like a U.S. president does. Um, but with her position, Vigdis did accomplish a lot. She put the environment and preserving Icelandic culture at the forefront of her presidency. And she decided she was like, all right, well, if I can't exactly like make laws and things like that, she's like, I'm going to become a cultural ambassador for Iceland. And I'm going to make sure that, like, people know who we are and we preserve who we are as a culture. She created programs to preserve the language, which is really crucial because a lot of languages end up dying, unfortunately. Um, And uh, the heritage and, of course, the land. She was like, I really don't want, you know, these big oil companies coming in and drilling. And, like, she was, like, really on the forefront of being like, we need to protect Iceland. (laughs) Seriously. Um, She also um, promoted the education of girls throughout her presidency and maintained the motto, never let the women down. That's a cute one. It's very cute. In 1996, she decided to step down as president of Iceland, leaving quite a legacy and quite an impression on the young men and women of Iceland. In one of her favorite stories, a mother told her that when Ronald Reagan was elected, and her son looked at the TV and he just said, well, wh- what do you mean Ronald Reagan is the president? He's a man. He can't be president. <laughs> 
And she cites this as one of her greatest accomplishments, <laughs> which That's is adorable. It reminds me a lot of the Sally Ride story when like a little boy was like crying. He's like, mom, can boys be astronauts too? Yeah. <laughs> and now when like tons of like little boy soccer players wear yes. like Hope Solo jerseys because so cool. they're like the best soccer players in yes. America. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, in 1996, she hosted a crucial summit between President, U.S. President Ronald Reagan and the Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev. From 1997 to 2001, she served as president of the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization and the World Commission on Ethics of Scientific Knowledge and Technology. Uh, then in 1998, she became uh, UNESCO's Goodwill Ambassador for Languages and... Uh, uh, so UNESCO was one of those things. I think that was the United Nations educational science thing. Right. I don't know. It's like There's UNICEF. a lot of There's acronyms of, yeah. in the UN. <laughs> they love um, them. <laughs> but when women in politics, of course, did not end with Vigdis. On February 9th, 2009, Iceland elected their first female prime minister and the world's first openly LGBT head of government, wow. Johanna Sigurdardottir. I think that's how you say her last name. Um, There's a lot of letters. Um, (laughs) And on June 27th, 2010, Iceland declared same-sex marriage legal, and Johanna and her partner, Jonina, were officially married. That's so great. I love that. Uh, Then we have Katrine um, Jacob's daughter. Like, I guess maybe it's pronounced... Jakob's daughter. Jakob's daughter. Yeah, that sounds right. Something like that. Okay. Um, she was a member of the left-leaning, um, left green movement, and she became Iceland's second female prime minister in 2017. And she remains the prime minister to this day. She is the youngest female leader in Europe, and she had again kept Iceland's focus on gender equality. One of her actions as prime minister was to organize a new law which requires. Icelandic companies to demonstrate like put pen to paper that they pay men and women equally wow you have to prove it yeah she's like it's I'm not just gonna like say that you should do it she's like I want to see like actual proof that you are doing this thing Mm. which I love it because it actually holds people accountable which I think is missing in a lot of act like public action the 1975 women's strike was repeated in 2005, 2010, and 2016. And because of their continuous efforts to maintain equality, as I said earlier, Iceland has been named the best country to be a woman. And I was actually watching a video on this exact subject. And this Australian woman was interviewing a bunch of boomer aged Icelandic men And she asked them, she said, this is considered the best place to be a woman. So what is it like to be a man here? And they were like, well, I mean, we cherish equality here. So if it's good for women, it's good for men, too. We pride ourselves in our strong women and it makes us better men. Thank you. I just (laughs) thank you, sir. And I just think it's all rooted in the legend of Vigdis and the power that lies in simply seeing a woman in power. And that's the story of Vigdis. Those were such happy stories I know. tonight. I feel so good. I feel very uplifted. Like, I feel like I just took, like, a warm bath in feminism. <laughs> it was just very nice. Um, yeah. It, it was great to just have two stories that aren't, like, 
bookending our episode in tragedy, (laughs) which is is often what this podcast is. It was Um, great. Just two like short little stories that like, I don't know. It was great. All well, right. thank you to <laughs> Rebecca and Lija. Lilja. Lilja. I think is how you say it. Okay. Um, it well, was tell L-I-L-J-A. us if we're wrong. J-A. Yeah. Lilja. Thank you so, so much for requesting this because this woman is incredible. Yeah. I'm so happy to know about her. Uh, she's so great. But we need to compare these mm-hmm. two ladies together <laughs> in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay. Well, um... There's so many firsts. There's so many firsts. First, 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 first. And just like understated firsts too. Yeah. You know, because I feel like people can get kind of like bogged down and like, yeah, I was the first to do this, but like, does it really matter? And it's like, yes, it always matters because if you don't do it, like someone needs to do it first. Right. And when somebody (laughs) does it first, what you don't see is the decade, two decades of work that came before that to get to that point. Exactly. And I just, yeah, I love that there were so many firsts because what incredible women to be the first, because I feel like they just didn't let anybody down. No, <laughs> no issues, no problems like that hey, we know of. Right. <laughs> I'm here. I'm doing this. Like, and I'm sure there's media things here and there. There right. always are. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it just, these, these are just inspirational women. I kept right. waiting when I was researching for the bad <laughs> yeah, thing. I and I was like, it's not happening. <laughs> well, and I think it's cool that something that I just didn't expect to be at such center focus was the importance of single moms. Uh, yes. Oh my gosh. Like Cheryl's mom was a single mom. Vigdis was a single mom. Then Cheryl was a single mom herself. Like it's just so inspiring to see what single moms can do because people again constantly like underestimate them and it's like no you can't do that and like you know if a single mom wants to do something like she can (laughs) like like you don't have to but like if you want to be a in the nba (laughs) and be a single mom like because of cheryl swoops and her fucking trailblazing like you can see that it's possible and also usually it's like we saw in your story it's other working women that allow you to be a working single mom like because they do things like school and daycare and nursing homes and you know all the different things that women do yeah um and i i thought the single mom thing was also interesting in the way that they went about having children like Mm. in cheryl's story it was like and then she was pregnant. Right. And it, it was could've... like a boom. But right. she didn't ever act like it wasn't ever in like, at least in any interviews or anything. It was never like, this is terrible. She was like, so right. I stopped and I had my son. And because like, I also think it's interesting because earlier in her story, we saw that happen to two of her friends in high school. Right. And it didn't really seem like the world stopped. She was like, yeah, like my mom said I couldn't really be friends with them anymore, which like sucks. But yeah. like, you know, it was like. And life continues. We still went on. We still did our thing. And we had babies as well. Yeah, exactly. And then it just, it was like the opposite because she was like, I, I'm not having this baby biologically right now. And now I'm separated from my husband. So I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. So. And it also like, it proves that institutions can be flexible when they want to be. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, we have not elected a female president yet. Um, and I, one of the reasons I think a lot of people are afraid is they're like, 
oh, but like, what if she's on her period? What if she gets pregnant? Like, da 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 da. And it's like all these things that, like, you're like, okay, like, <laughs> come now. Come now. Like, women have been, you know, running shit and doing all these things for millennia, and it's been fine. So, like, your issues are rooted in something else. But, like, but in just the, in also, like, the, those issues are rooted in, like, what people have been taught. Yes. We did, um, a book interview earlier this week called women in white coats. And part of the book was like, we don't want women to be doctors because their brain doesn't function the same when they're on their period. And it's like, yes, it does. Like that's the thing. There's always an excuse, right? There's always an excuse they're giving. And uh, both these women are like, fuck your excuses. Like big just was like, I don't care that I'm divorced and single. She's like, I want a kid. And like, Obviously, like I was having trouble biologically, like it, maybe that's not in the cards for me. So like I'm going to make it happen like with or without you or me. <laughs> and I think also all of all of the women in Iceland were like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Like every single one of them was like, yeah. I'm going to prove to you that there are no excuses. Yeah. We without half of the working citizens in this country, it will not work. Yep. You can't exactly. keep pretending that we're not here. Yeah. Well, I love it, too, because like, you know, like the red stockings were made up of primarily like kind of like upper middle class like women. And they're like, no, if this is going to work, we need to bring in women who, you know, aren't like us. Right. We need to gather them up. And I feel like it reminds me like their organization that led this strike kind of reminds me of like an organization like the WNBA where like it at the end of the day, like we we're saying, it doesn't matter that she came from a small town. It doesn't matter that she chose Texas tech instead of, you know, university, university of Texas, Texas. you know, <laughs> like none of that matters because like, if you want to be there, like you will find a way, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I feel like they made changes all together because they didn't just limit themselves to like, well, we're only going to listen to people that agree with us. You know, like they're like, no, let's get some different voices in here and see what everybody needs and wants. Let's make a shoe for the women. Exactly. Let's because do something if you about don't it. include diverse voices, you don't get to hear the things that other people need, like shoes. I mean, I didn't need basketball shoes, but like <laughs> you did need them. I mean, let's, I did need them. That's true. Back up. <laughs> I should post a photo of me playing in Samba. I can picture it in like, my your head. ankles. <laughs> um, I will say, though, at the end of the day, they led these extraordinary lives. Mm-hmm. They did all these first. They do all these incredible things. And you know where they are. They're on the world stage mm-hmm. standing next to men, mm-hmm. getting the same awards, doing the same thing. Because that is the end of both of these equality stories. Yes, yeah, it's true. That it's like, I, I proved it. I yeah. proved that I was just as good. Yep. She's Absolutely. not the female Michael Jordan. She's the female Cheryl Swoops. Yep. That's exactly. what she is. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> I also think it's, really interesting that both of them chose to leave their careers when they were done yeah this i put they both decided to step down yeah and i think that that's so beautiful it's very george washington of them <laughs> <laughs> or should we say that was very the cheryl swoops, swoops of george them. washington <laughs> it's very cheryl swoops of him to step down like that <laughs> After just two terms, <laughs> not 16 years. But you know what I'm saying? Because I feel like when you like 
come to, you know, a position of, you know, power or like whatever, you know, through lots of strife, (laughs) you realize how important it is for other people to also be able to take over, you know, because I feel like especially when it came to Iceland, it was like, yes, Vigdis came in. She was the first female president. And like she like kind of kept focus on women's rights. Mm. And then we were able to have female prime ministers and we were able to have those other women who came in and one was like, okay, well I'm going to focus on LGBTQ rights. And then that's going to be my thing. That's going to be my legacy. And then the next one came in and was like, I'm going to focus back on women's rights and like, you know, environment and stuff like that. And it's like, everybody could leave their mark because the other, like the women who were the first recognized that like, other women also deserve to be here. It's not just for me. Right. And these stories, though, regardless of the success, there is still that shadow of, well, nobody cares about the WNBA because nobody wants to watch women play basketball. Like there is still that note that hovers in the air the same way. It's like, well, nobody cares that Iceland did that because Iceland is tiny and we can't make that happen in our country. And it's like, well, actually there's a lot of people who care and who put a lot of work into making that happen in Iceland and you could do it too. And also these are actually incredible athletes that are well worth a watch. So It's that excuse again. We're coming Mm -hmm. back to the excuses that even though their personal successes are large in general, like the outside viewing of their stories, is just like, eh. Right. Well, exactly. And I think that that's why they also both chose later in life to, you know, focus their energies on things that are going to be better for the future. They're like, I understand that like nobody cares about the WNBA now, but like (laughs) maybe they'll care if like, girls that are also learning about basketball are learning about their roots and their culture because that only strengthens the community and it strengthens these girls. So like, you know, I'm going to invest in the future and like uplift as many girls as I can, because hopefully one day, you know, what happened to women's soccer will happen to women's basketball and people actually start to give a shit, you know? And I feel like they just did the same thing. She was like, I'm going to work on preserving Iceland's culture. She was like, because that's really important to me. And I'm like that invest in the future. Right. And like investing in, you know, again, like the young girls of Iceland to empower them to want to be president one day. Yeah. And I just think that, again, it's another legacy that they both share is investing in the next generation and bringing them up instead of putting them down, which I think is absolutely incredible. We should just all be trying to make little boys cry because they can't be astronauts. Mm. Perfect. That would be perfect. (laughs) Just kidding. We love little boys. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, are you ready to toast? They're Um, all right. (laughs) Yes, I am ready to toast. Um, Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? So I just want to say cheers to women who believe in something that's not a thing. I think it's hard to just like dedicate your life to something that you don't even know if it can be made possible, like while you're alive and it's hard to go out on a limb when there's not a tree there. Yeah. So just Cheryl, cheers to you for walking out on a limb. There we go. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Kitty. All right. I am going to toast the women in power and the women who invest in the next generation, because I think it's incredible. And I think that, 
like the men in Iceland, we can all benefit from seeing women in power. Cheers. I agree. <laughs> Cheers. Representation. Representation. <laughs> well, well, are you ready to promote some I pop culture? Allie, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So I told you about this when we were watching the Super Bowl on mm-hmm. Sunday because, yes, we watched the football sometimes yes we do occasionally when we have <laughs> nothing else to do um and we don't want poor producer to have to watch it by himself that's true that would be lonely <laughs> it is sometimes i sneak in and like sit next to him with my computer and he'll be like ah, oh and i'm like oh yeah you're yeah. right boo, boo. <laughs> he was robbed yeah we need more hissing in sports <laughs> bring the hiss back <laughs> right <laughs> so I told you about this on Sunday was the point, but there there's a new movie on Netflix called Finding Ohana, and it is so cute. It's like the modern day Goonies. It takes place in Hawaii. It has a lot of like cute Hawaiian culture things. So you like look and it's, you know, mixing like the mainland American roots with like these very like Hawaiian cultural roots and it's just cute it's a treasure finding movie it's a little bit of a teenage love story it's Uh a little bit of like loss of a father type story it's Mm. so good and Mm. it's it was good on multiple generational levels I really Uh. liked it so I would just say you know watch it either watch it with your kids or just watch it alone there's nothing better than a relaxing kids movie when you're by Mm. yourself it's so, perfection. It really is. Um, is it live action? Or it is live action. Okay. It is live action. There's I think like I a, also asked that on Sunday. You may have, <laughs> but you were asking it for the good of the fans. For the good of the fans. Uh, there's also like a little girl in it who looks like she should have a nickname like Kit. Ugh. Or like what a great nickname, but like you know something that's not a name. Yeah, she's the t- she doesn't in the movie, but she looks like she should like like from To Kill a Mockingbird Scout. Ugh. She looks like she should have a nickname yes. like that. So I once you that. watch it, tell me what you think her nickname should be. Everybody, all right. What do you have to promote? All right, I am gonna promote the Office Ladies podcast because you Yay! know what? I'm just gonna say I know a lot of people are hating on it and whatever, but like if you like The Office, it is fascinating like just hearing all the behind the scenes thing and like how they made snow in california and how they made california look like pennsylvania like Like, calm down about your whining yeah it's just like i don't know it's fun and like like angela you know kinsey and jenna fisher are just like super dorky and like they like love their own show so much that it's like really heartwarming (laughs) and like just to hear all the stories mainly i love it because like i'm a huge steve carell fan and the stories about him on the set of the office are insanely heartwarming and it makes me cry often um and yeah i just i really like it and i also found out that yeah angela grew up in Indonesia and speaks like the Indonesian language fluently. I had no idea. You would never be able to know that from yeah, looking at her. I know. It's crazy. And just like, I don't know. I just really enjoyed also just learning a little bit more about how TV shows are made because like, I don't know how they shot the scene of Michael hitting Meredith with his car. It looks seamless. It looks like he hit her. I mean, I don't even know how podcasts are made. Can oh, I, yeah. Can we find no. a show about that? <laughs> That's what I need. So, yeah, I don't know. I just like listen to it on cleaning the house sometimes. And it's just really nice 
because also it's just talking about something that I'm very visually familiar with, which I like. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, go to the office ladies. If you like the office it's and you have more time <laughs> yes. to listen to things. <laughs> um, so find us anywhere. We mm-hmm. love you for tuning in. Yes, Happy February. Find us on all the social media platforms. We post every single day, just fun facts in women's history and in women's presence mm-hmm. and we love when you talk to us and tell us all the things about your life yeah. and if you want more money to go to uh cheryl swoops foundation back to our roots join our patreon yeah because all the money this month is going, going to there. that organization so if you want to put more money there and then also to keep this podcast going <laughs> after february um, <laughs> we need you, we need you. <laughs> we're literally starving so join us and cheryl um and yeah swoop it on up and uh, <laughs> should we is that the new tagline for this swoop podcast it on, swoop it on, and as we like to say well-behaved women up. swoop it on up um, and they really make history <laughs> we we should however okay. end on some jock jams yes <laughs> <laughs> let's get ready to rumble i'm just gonna play us the out best jock jam <laughs> y'all ready for this <laughs> So done. (laughs) Goodbye. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye